Mike Howell here, and you're listening to another episode of Anatomy of a Chef, where I connect chefs to the people who love their food. On today's episode, I'm chatting with personal chef Sue Shattuck, and she lives in Pensacola, Florida. Sue is the owner of Personal Chef Services of Sue Shattuck, where she is not only a personal chef, but a culinary instructor as well. We talk about the evolution of her business from cooking classes that represented the bulk of her income last year to a 180 degree turn this year where the personal chef business is now dominant. Ask her what she thinks that the major difference was. If you said social media, you get to go to the head of the class. She believes Facebook and Instagram are responsible for the increase in her business. She started posting photos of her food on Instagram, along with the hashtags, obviously, and she just says it's exploded. It's gone crazy. I wanted to dive into the details of her business, including any advice she would give to someone looking to move into the personal chef arena. So anybody out there that's looking to starting a personal chef business, she's been doing it for over 20 years, and it's just in the last six years that she's put in... uh, major effort that's turned her business around to where it is today and she's she was busy we've had to reschedule this interview a few times because she was just got booked up with cooking gigs so and that takes way much more precedence over over this old little show here she had some great ideas on pricing and creating checklists and we get we even talked about developing a charter so she can use with her clients and that is to set boundaries between her and the clients, such as no kids or dogs in the kitchen. She almost spilled the steaming hot water on a little wiener dog because it was in the kitchen and she didn't know it was there and almost tripped and spilled a bunch of hot water, which would have injured the dog severely. So we talked about she has something that she creates, um, I will do and do nots type thing, and I suggested just putting it in a charter and going and buying a frame and setting it on the countertop because she, if she's going to cook in in your home or a condo that you're renting, she needs to have refrigerator space. She needs to have counter space, and the do's and do nots kind of go through it that she uses currently, but they're not. They don't seem to be working. She shows up and the fridge is full and the counter is cluttered with with stuff on it and what have you. And we talk about displaying this charter where everybody can see it at all times to kind of be a reminder, a gentle reminder that she needs her her space as well. It's also more of a safety issue with the the kitchen area. We packed a ton of information into a short amount of time in this interview and diving into a lot of her business, which I found kind of fascinating, and she was a blast to, to talk to as well. So please enjoy the show, and now I present Chef Sue Shattuck. Hi, Sue. Welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm so glad to be a part of it. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. I want to get some personal information from you. Tell everyone where you live, where you grew up, what your siblings, any family. Kind of give a little information about yourself. Well, I live on Pensacola Beach, Florida. And if you haven't been here, you need to definitely put it on your list. We have the whitest beaches in the world, beautiful, (laughs) clear blue water. And um, it's just, it's a dream 
existence here, and I'm very, very fortunate. But um, I have three children, all grown, and um, I don't know. I'm both a culinary instructor and a personal chef and love what I do. I meet the nicest people, and I'm very, very fortunate to be one of those rare people that can say they love what they do. When their feet hit the floor in the morning, they want to go do what they're doing. You don't see that very often, but it's nice. Yes, it is. We used to live in Houston, and we got, let's see, three hurricanes. Katrina, um, the one after Katrina, and then a couple of three or four years later, Hurricane Ike, which pretty much almost uh, destroyed my whole neighborhood that we lived in. But Yeah, it's not too fun. But doesn't Pensacola, it doesn't get hit very often, though, does it? We get hit about every five to eight years and it's bad every time it's it's the downside of this you know the beaches are beautiful it's a wonderful place to live good quality of life here i don't like the heat and i'm not a huge fan of hurricanes so that's the downside of it um it's it's pretty bad but um it's you know it's the trade-off i guess every place has that i i don't know i don't know what colorado's trade-off is maybe the the snow in the winter but they right, seem right. to um, to have a pretty good deal going there, but but here it's so beautiful. But when a hurricane hits, it's so devastating. Also, yeah, they make a big mess. I don't think people realize unless you live. Yeah, they don't one. play. They don't play nicely. They do not. And yeah, nothing, nothing stops them. And it's just it's it's not the yeah. And Katrina had an especially bad temper, didn't she? Oh, big time. Yeah, my yeah, goodness. she was. She had a bad attitude. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> There's a word for that. <laughs> yeah. No doubt. Do you have any um, yeah. siblings and your brothers or sisters? I am the youngest of five girls. I come from a long line of wonderful cooks. Now, having said that, I live in the deep south, and everything I grew up with was fat and fried. And, you know, I don't know that I ever had a green salad until I was, like, 14. And, wow, <laughs> what is this? You know, we just – everything we ate was terrible. But my grandmother had a farm, so all the, you know, poultry was fresh from her chickens. All the eggs were fresh. She had a garden, and as much as I hated having to go out and harvest vegetables and peas, butter beans, whatever, in the summer, it was so worth it in the winter when we had farm-fresh vegetables right out of my grandmother's garden that had been stored in the freezer. And I learned to, as we call in the South, put up vegetables where you, you know, can them and put them away and, Right. Um, things like that that, you know, I grew up with and I'm, I realize now that even at a young age I had I had a good head start in the culinary world seeing all that, you know, seeing my grandfather, you know, um, butcher a hog or see my grandmother, you know, cut up a chicken and, and right. all that. And so I had hands-on learning from an early age. But, but I took a different road. I wanted all those wonderful foods, but I wanted to do them with a more healthy, you know, vibe to it and um, and take it up a notch. So that's where my interest came in. Oh, very cool. Did you, um, yeah. you went to culinary school, yes? I did. Very unconventionally, I went to culinary school in a small village school in Italy outside of Rome. I don't even know if it exists anymore, but this has been many years ago. And then I came back and years later, tied up all the loose ends and finished with Escoffier. And um, most of what I've learned, you know, has been 
a lot of it has been self-taught, not because I didn't learn it in culinary, but because I learned it in the in the trenches, so to speak. With gotcha. um, I, you know, the little bit of the back of the house work that I've done. I never really wanted to do back of the house restaurant work, but the catering and then certainly the culinary instruction. I almost immediately started as a culinary instructor. I love teaching, and mm. um, you, you wouldn't believe how much you learn from teaching. So. Yeah, I bet. Yeah, so, researching every food and yeah. So the um, the restaurant experience um, wasn't something that you were striving. Your personality doesn't sound like it was geared towards restaurant work, more towards the education part of it. It is. It's, you're exactly right. I my passion is the education end of it, and um, I love being a culinary instructor, and I do a lot of that in people's homes. When they hire me as a personal chef, sometimes they want, you know, if it's a girl's night out or whatever, they want a hands-on class. I did one night before last. I have um, a class I call Pasta La Vista Baby, and it's hands-on mm-hmm. pasta making. Yeah, and I do it in their home kitchen, and it's a group of, the other night it was 20 ladies, and everybody made their own pasta. It was hugely popular and so much fun. Biggest mess you've ever seen, but boy, <laughs> we had a good time. We had flour everywhere, but it was so much fun. <laughs> One, yeah. of the, one of the things I wanted to, to kind of ask you is, um, it, it's kind of a twofold question, and I'm not looking for, for dollars and cents, but I was kind of curious, what percentage of your income is based from the personal chef and the cooking classes? And then you just come up with this combination of you doing kind of both in one. So, can you- Well, strangely, if you had asked me this time last year, I would have said the cooking classes make up the whole the highest percentage, but this year it's been very different. I've been covered up with personal chef gigs and few cooking classes because I haven't had time to do many classes. Um, the ones I've done have been in people's homes and dinner parties and, oh. and things like that, but last year I, I hardly had time to do private chef stuff because I was doing so many classes. This year it's changed. Um, not as many classes and lots and lots of personal chef gigs. So, Can you... Can you attribute that to anything in particular, or is it just kind of the nature of the business? Well, you know, understandably, a lot of what happens in my business with personal chef is word of mouth. But I have noticed that once I begin really incorporating social media into my day-to-day business grind, um, it completely turned around. Hashtags, you know, comments seem to have really exploded my business in a way that I never even foresaw. And then um, Instagram, I think, has had a big impact on it. People love pictures of food, and they're just drawn to it. And if you've got, you know, a six-course meal laid out, and you take photos of each course or whatever, and people love that. And, um, and suddenly it sticks to them, you know, that um, your name or what it is you do or a particular dish that you served and photographed or whatever, it sticks out in their mind. And um, Almost always when I ask people, how did you find me? They say, you know, on the Internet. And oh, I'm also a member of the American Association of Private Chefs. And um, so when people, you know, look at their site for someone in, a, in this particular area, my name pops up there too. But oh, okay. certainly um, customer feedback, I think, plays a, a big part in it. And, yeah. um, yeah, so, so how, I don't know. How long, it, I'm sorry. How long have you been doing, how long have you been doing the personal 
Chef? Um, about 20 years, but it started out slow because I was still raising kids and other things going on. But okay. I have really immersed myself into my personal chef business in like the past six or seven years. And oh, okay. It's, okay. it's just growing exponentially and growing organically, like I said, because I don't really know what one marketing tool I've used that has made such a difference, especially this year. But the, the one thing that I added this year was so much more social media and Instagram and hashtag comments and things like that. And it's, it had to have had an impact on it because my phone is just ringing off the hook. That's, wow, that's, um, that's telling, I think. It, it tells the – and you're not the only chef I've talked to. I've interviewed other um, chefs. One is Gary's coming up in a couple weeks out of – I think he's up in Michigan or Wisconsin. And uh-huh. he started – he had a photographer, a friend of his, um, take him aside and say, you know what, your photos really are horrible. Let me show you how uh-huh. to take really good photos. And he started taking photos of his dishes and just throwing them out there. And people uh-huh. come into the restaurant with the picture saying, I want this. Wow, so, that's huge. Yeah, you saying this is, and I'm hearing it more and more often, it's whoever's out there in a sh- chef role, if you want to promote your business, doing the photos. Right. I mean, I follow some some chefs on Instagram, that's pretty much the majority of what I do follow, and, and mm-hmm. it's ringing true. They're posting all kinds of photos of the food that they're creating, so there is some... Well, let's face it, when it comes to food, our very first contact is visual, so mm-hmm. it stands for reason that a photo, like you said, somebody walking in a restaurant saying, I want this, she was drawn to it because that just whet her appetite, and she wanted that exact same thing she wanted to experience it it is it is absolutely a visual thing before it's a a palette thing you know yeah for sure so that being said you've been doing this for quite some time and you really got into it six seven years ago when when really social this really social media instagram stuff was really kind of growing as well if someone's looking if someone is looking to become a personal chef how would you advise them to in the areas of like the pricing, um, the equipment, the food prep, I mean, you cook in your kitchen or theirs and transporting stuff and hiring help. Can you kind of give some wisdom out there since you've been doing it for so long? Well, you get a feel as time goes by and you do so many of these, you get a feel for how much time it's going to take you to to shop for something, prep for it, execute the meal, whatever, um, mm-hmm. how much food cost is going to be, that takes a little while. So anyone who's screwing up time and time again and maybe not clearing the profit that they'd like to because they didn't figure the food cost enough or how much time it took them or whatever, don't beat yourself up over that. That will fall into place in time. And in the meantime, you should definitely have a per hour rate that you want to charge and then the food cost. That is a safe way for you to... Um, not let the food cost affect your profit. So have a per-hour cost that, that they pay you to prepare the meal and then plus the food cost. That way you're oh. covered and you won't, you won't shoot yourself in the foot food cost-wise. Gotcha. And then over time you can figure out um, how to adjust your hourly rate accordingly, it sounds like. Right, right. I mean, you kind of know what it's going to take. You know, it's going to take five to six hours commonly to do a dinner party in someone's kitchen. You know, they want to eat at 8, you want to be there at 3 o'clock or whatever, and you've probably already prepped some things ahead of time, maybe not, depending on how many how many helpers you have 
you know, employees helping you or whatever. But um, but on average, it's going to take you five to six hours to do a dinner party. Um, with me, if I'm doing a class too, like I said, the Pasta La Vista baby pasta mm-hmm. making class, I need to add an hour to that because that's going to take minimum another hour to do that because you've got so many hands in the kitchen and it's all right. one-on-one instruction. And But, again, you learn that over time. And, Pretty soon, you're seeing the profits that you want because you priced it out correctly. Gotcha. Equipment-wise, um, if you're cooking in someone's home, you make arrangements to cook in someone's home. Do you typically bring? I know you bring your own knives and that kind of thing, but do, uh-huh. you, do you pretty much rely on someone else's equipment, or do you go to their house and do an inventory of what they have? How do you work? Sometimes, that? because I live on the beach, and a lot of people that I serve are staying in beach houses or condos or whatever on the beach. Sometimes it's on a yacht that somebody's staying on here. Mm-hmm. And if it, I know that's pretty cool, but yeah, if it's a rental, nice. they can send me the link to the to the beach house rental or condo, or whatever, and I can get online and look at the pictures of the kitchen and see how many ovens they have. Do they have, you know? Um, they have two dishwashers, one, you know, to accommodate if I'm feeding 20 people. It helps that they have, you know, two dishwashers. Uh, do they have an ice machine? You know, how much room is in the refrigerator and things like that. So I'm lucky with that with somebody's residence. If, if it's going to be a big group, then I do like to go eyeball their kitchen so that I can look at it and figure out the logistics in my mind's eye of how we'll execute it that night. Mm, but, um okay. But, but the things that I do always bring with me, like you said, are certainly my, is certainly all my cutlery. And um, but I like to bring my favorite stainless pan, um, you know, a stick blender, you know, immersion blender, that kind of thing. Things that they may not have. And I I like my stainless cookware because I know how it's going to perform. It just never right. misses a beat. And and so I don't trust theirs. I don't know how it's going to conduct heat or not. And um, right. Yeah, so I've I've had egg on my face more than once using other yeah. people's, you know, cookware that just didn't just didn't um, you know, take the the paces that we put it through. So yeah, and transportation. Did you did you kind of figure out you got like hard sided crates or something that you roll around on a dolly or to move stuff around? Because I do. I put it all up in my van, and I have you know cubicles and compartments for everything and. I have a checklist, and I recommend that to someone. Um, number one, just peace of mind so that when you know when you get there that you haven't forgotten anything. So make a checklist of all your supplies and all of your ingredients before you leave. Another plus to that is check that off again as you're leaving their house or condo, whatever, to make sure you didn't leave anything behind. Because if it's a vacation location, they may be checking out the next day. And if you leave something there, you know, if, $200 knife, you're screwed. You know, you're, you have little chance of getting that back. Right. Yeah, for sure. That's a great tip. That's a really yeah. good tip. Oh, that's awesome. So what is your, do you, I mean, you're down south, you talked about frying food and stuff. Is there, um, is there something that you would consider your signature dish that it goes over really well, like for dinner party after dinner party that people are asking for, craving, can't wait to try, some like molten chocolate cake or something? Um, no, I tell you, if, if you were to ask my clients, the thing that they would rave about would be my steak 
for my Italian food. Now, again, I studied in Italy, so it's a huge passion of mine. And, you know, I, I traveled a lot, too, both in France and Italy, and I was so fortunate to be able to go to a village and say, who is the best cook in the village? And they would, you know, take me to this little woman's house. And she had no training. She's just somebody's grandmother that is incredible. And wow. they love having you come into their kitchen and, you know, teach you. And then a couple of times, um, you know, in a, a restaurant environment or whatever, I'd say, please tell the chef that this was the best, you know, whatever that I've had. And the chef would come out and, you know, you come, I show you. and Take me to the kitchen and show me how he did it compared to how I do mine. And oh, so okay. those, yeah, no matter how much culinary training you have, it could never, ever be as important to me as those experiences. The, the little people who are fabulous chefs and have no culinary training, the things I learned from them were, were just priceless. And um, I, I treasure those things. So. Um, but to answer your question, definitely I have a, a knack for Italian because of my training and my passion there. And I, I cook a mean steak. Um, certainly, <laughs> being here, I can do any kind of seafood because I was raised with delicious Gulf seafood. I'm close mm-hmm. to New Orleans, so I'm the Creole queen, too. You want it, you want it hot? You want it to have a, a kick? I, I'm your girl. So nice. um, lots of influences in Southern food. And um, I'm lucky to have been exposed to all that. Um, yeah, and, you know, the fried food wasn't wasted on me. I, I learned a lot of secrets about how to do amazing fried food from my mother and my grandmother. And very rarely do I fry anything. Um, it's not something that I, I love fried food. I just don't, you know, enjoy all the calories and the, the you know, unhealthy aspect of it. But, but every once in a while, in fact, two clients last week, were visiting from up north, and they wanted a huge fried seafood feast, and both nights. So, man, wow. it's just it kills me to throw all that wonderful seafood into a fryer. <laughs> but, um, but that's what they're paying for, so that's what I do. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I know. A real pure, yeah, a real purist just feels pain when they throw that stuff into the fryer. I, I'm trying to be, but they just won't let me. They know we want it fried. <laughs> Okay, and they want homemade buttermilk biscuits and ugh, really the whole Crisco thing. All right, you know, wow. but um, nobody will deny that it's delicious. It's you know, a heart attack yeah. waiting waiting to happen, but it is so freaking good, isn't it? <laughs> it is good, but yeah. there's an adage I heard someone I can't remember who it was. It was an ath. She was an an athlete, but she said, "If I eat crappy, I feel crappy." And it's true. It is so true. Really, yeah, they were talking. I think they were talking about a cheat day, and she goes, "I don't have any cheat days. I just know if I eat crappy, I feel crappy. So I got to be prepared right. that if I'm going to have a hamburger and fries or whatever the case may be, or something fried food if you're down in Florida." That I know. I told someone the other day, I, I will be so glad when I'm like 80, and it doesn't matter what I eat because I'm <laughs> close to death anyway. So who cares? Bring it on. You know, I'll be so glad. It won't matter if I'm 30 pounds overweight. You know, I'm three steps from death. Just bring it to me. <laughs> we, talk yeah. about our parents all, we talk about our parents all the time, and some of them are on cholesterol medication and high blood pressure, and they're pushing 90 years old, and it's like, you know what? At that point, I'm like, forget that. I'm already I'm I, done. Right. Right. Really, let's party and eat whatever. Yes, I'll take a whole tub of ice cream. Yes, please. <laughs> 
that day is going to be great. Yeah, exactly. Pasta fried ice cream. Right, right. Yeah. So let's see. Walk us through a typical um, meeting with a prospective client. You get a phone call or email that says, um, "Hey Sue, I want I want to throw a, a dinner party for ten, and I'm thinking I want you to come by my house and we can talk about menus and and what it all takes and that kind of stuff. Can you kind of get walk us through the process of how all that happens when you get a new client to give you a, a call and have you come in and talk to them? Right. Well, my first questions are, you know, how many people do you need to have served and what type of cuisine were you thinking of? Um, and if they don't know, then I ask them, well, what kind of cuisine do you enjoy? What, what do your guests enjoy? And sometimes they'll want to get back to me. Well, you know, let me ask everybody what sounds good to them. And, and then I also offer to send them a menu list. I have a whole list of menus that they can choose from, from both oh, okay. soups, salads, entrees, sides, desserts, you know, appetizers, the whole thing. So they, if they're not sure, they're just clueless. I have no idea. Let me send you some menu options and see if anything on there appeals to you. And if oh. it does, then choose from there, and you can mix and match whatever you want. If you don't see anything on there, then talk with your group and find out what everybody's craving, what sounds good that would be a real treat to have a chef come in and do, and I'll customize whatever you want. Um, the second question is, does anyone have food allergies or food sensitivities? Very, very important that you know that, number one, because you don't want to kill anybody. Number two, right. you don't want to have a situation where you get into a kitchen and you're, you're prepping food and, or about to serve it out and somebody says, oh, you know, I'm, I'm gluten-free or I have a terrible allergy mm -hmm. to pistachios and we're serving pistachio pesto stuff pork loin oh really right. well no, nobody told me that so um so it really helps you in the long run too so you don't have any bumps in the road and then um you know are there any kids or whatever and do you need separate meals for them and, um it it kind of goes from there they they start with what sounds good to them what and i ask them what would you never fix at home you know that you oh, never cook at home but you love it that you could have somebody else come in and do it for you, what would that be? And, um, and usually that will help get their creative juices flowing and they come up with a menu that, that we start from, a good starting point. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I could see people saying prime rib or something like that that they would probably never fix at home. Or... Right, and they do, and that's a perfect thing. If you're having a chef in, go for something like that that you would not commonly do yourself. And you would, you would get in a restaurant, but you don't want to have to go to a restaurant and, you know, wait for, you know, an hour or whatever or deal with the, the noise, the crowds, whatever. Um, and you get the same thing without all the trouble, especially if you've got 20 people in Beach House. Nobody wants to go to a restaurant. That's just chaotic. That's a chaotic mess, you know. And you're not there to go to a restaurant. You're there to enjoy the, the Beach House and the beach and right. the surrounding areas. You don't want to be stuck in a... Goofy exactly. Joe's Crab Shack. Exactly. Nothing against Joe's right. Crab Shack, but I mean, yeah, it's almost. <clears throat> I think it's worth it to throw that, throw a personal chef in the budget, and really knock it out of the park for a day or, or night or two, and have you do all the work. So, I do too, and and a lot of people do that. They they're at the planning stages, and um, and and they're trying to make it as easy 
and as relaxing as they can. We're thinking about renting a house on the beach. There are going to be, you know, 25 of us, and we really hate the idea of going to a restaurant. What kind of menu could you work up and come in four or five nights while we're there and feed us? And so that's what I do. It's a lot of work. I just finished a three-day in a beautiful home on the beach with 20 people, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and it was wow. It was a lot of work. But they were a fabulous group all three days. All three days, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Wow. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a long day when you have to have breakfast ready at 730 for 20 people. And then, you know, dinner, you're finishing up the cleanup of dinner at, you know, 10 or 11 at night. It's a long day. Get up the next morning and do it again. But, um, But I meet the nicest people, and I have the best time. And it's so much work, but it's so worth it, too. Do you care if people hang out with you in the kitchen while you prepare and cook? You know, wow, that is funny that you asked that question. Um, people do do that. I don't know what it is about this happened a couple times last week, and I just was kind of chuckling out of my breath that they're in this gorgeous condo. The, the weather's perfect. The beach is beautiful. And, and once I arrived, they all just sat down in the living room, the living area that's in front of the, the kitchen, and mm-hmm. just kind of watched me. And, oh you know, and they talk and visit, and I'm thinking, why are you here? Why are you outside enjoying this weather and let me worry about all this? But um, I have in my agreement, and this is very important for a, a new personal chef too, definitely have, I don't like to call it a contract, but it, it is a, a list of please do's and please do not. Please have, you know, three shelves cleared out in the refrigerator so that I can store all my prep and and all that and keep things chilled. Um, Please minimize your presence in the kitchen while the chef and her her employees are working. And certainly, although I adore children and pets, a busy kitchen is a dangerous environment for them. Please do not have any pets or children in the kitchen while we're working. And... um, Oh, and have all the countertops cleared off. Please clean off all those kitchen counters so we have plenty of workspace. Invariably, every time I go, there's no refrigerator space cleaned out. The (laughs) kitchen counters are filled with stuff. The kids are practically climbing into the dishwasher. um, (laughs) And all the adults, are they're coming in. And they're pouring themselves four cocktails, which is great. They're on vacay. They should be. But, you know, but they set up their bar on the kitchen counter, and it's like, oh, yeah. I, I need that space. And then how do you tastefully and tactfully ask them, you know, do you mind if we move the bar over here because we're going to need this space? Yeah. And, but it's just funny. They're, it's, like, it's like a celebrity has entered the building, <laughs> and they don't want to leave. They want to sit there and hang out with you. And, and um, it is. It's just it's almost comical. But. I, I, I should be flattered, and I am, but, um, but I'm one of these people that when I start working, I am focused. I look down, and I don't look up till I'm done. So if somebody's talking to me and asks me, well, you know, where did you get your training? How long have you been doing this, blah, blah, blah. And I, I know they're interested, and I want to interact with them, but right now I really need to focus on this meal because you're paying me a lot of money for this, and it better right. be good, you know. Yeah. So don't interrupt me because I'd hate for this whole meal to suck. But, um, so I, have an, I have an idea for you, and you can yeah. think about it or throw it away either, either way. I'm thinking if you made, I wouldn't call it, an, I would call it a charter, and the charter is between you and your client, 
and the mm -hmm. charter states that these are the things that I need your help with that I that need to be done before I arrive and, and put down the same things as what you had and I would actually buy a cheap frame at Michael's or something and put it in a frame that stands on a countertop and that says this is our charter and put it out where everybody can see it and tactfully refer to the charter that you all agreed to. <laughs> right. <laughs> but that, that is a very tasteful way to implement that. I, I have wondered about that, that I've got to do something to politely, you know, remind them that please do not be in the kitchen, you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah that's you, a great idea. And when you get there, you can, or for before the meetup or, or whatever the case. And we go, one last thing, this is the thing that I do with all my clients, is I have this charter, and it's something that we all agree to, and it's going to be displayed so everybody can refer to it because it's important that we all adhere to the charter so I can give you the best service possible with the least amount of, of interruptions, if you will. or Absolutely, like certainly. And if you put it That's out there, people idea. can see it, they'll read it, and I know the women in particular will read that and go, like, "Oh my gosh, I got We got to get this counter cleaned off, or we gotta, we gotta do whatever the case may be." But if you keep it out, right, get the three-year-old out of the dishwasher. <laughs> get the three-year-old out of the dishwasher, and, and yeah, and get the poodles out of the dishwasher. Right. Right. I know. Oh, absolutely. I did. I almost spilled a huge pot of food on someone's dog one time. It's a little, a uh, little um, Dotson, and he was just right oh, at my okay. feet, in and out, and I didn't know he was behind me. I nearly spilled. I mean, piping hot food all over him. It it would have it would have injured him severely. I just yeah, oh lord. But yeah, big time. Yeah. We have a chocolate lab, and we actually trained her not to go in the kitchen. And she doesn't. We did. We trained her when we lived in Houston, and we've lived in four other places since then. And she's 11 years uh -huh. old, and she still to this day will not enter the kitchen anywhere because it's not a place. That is for a dog wonderful. Yeah. yeah. It's just good on you. That's a great yeah. idea. When you train them when they're little, and we had a, in Texas, we had a big kitchen with a nice island in it that could access from both sides, and she would just park mm -hmm. herself near one at the far end of the island so she could watch her mom do the cooking. <laughs> How <laughs> cute is that? Yeah, but she would. Oh, that's it. adorable. Yeah. So I wish more people would sweet. do that. It's kind of annoying. Then. Yeah, you definitely. It's the same issue. That kind of stuff. But yeah, that's a great hint. So we, you can try you can try the charter and try putting it out there. And, I, and that's a great idea. Thanks for suggesting that. I think that might help my my dilemma and certainly the other chefs that are listening. You know, I it, it's going to be a problem if you haven't experienced it yet. You will. So go ahead and yeah. and learn from from my experience and <laughs> get that charter made up and it'll save you some some injury and frustration later. So yeah, and it's a. And it's a real polite way of of both parties coming to an agreement and that you have something that tangible to hold on to. It's like, this is our charter, this is our agreement. Instead of calling it a contract or an agreement, a charter right. sounds more that is a great title. It does, and more respectful, too. I like that yeah. a bunch. Good idea. For everybody. So great idea. America, yeah, America, you're welcome. No problem. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> really, that was a freebie. They got that one totally free. That's right. <laughs> what are three things you wish you knew before becoming a personal chef? Oh, let's see. Um, hmm. Three things. I guess it would be 
I wish I had known how physically exhausting it is. Um, again, depending on where you're doing your gig, as we call them, if it's in, in my case, so many times it's in a, a large home, beach house, whatever, and some of them have the elevators, some of them don't, but carrying all the supplies and equipment and ingredients up three flights of stairs is just a yeah. real a real physical workout. And, um, you know, um, I, I guess that's the first thing is that, you know, be in good shape. Take care of yourself because you've got long, hard hours. You need to drink lots of water and take care of yourself. Stay hydrated and um, be prepared to to walk some stairs and haul some things. It's a lot mm-hmm. of that, you know, in and out and certainly in the rain or where some people live in the snow or whatever. It's right. it's very tasking. But I think that above anything, just the physical exertion in this business. And um, comfortable shoes, you know, wear comfortable shoes. What do you, speaking of which, do you wear, um, oh, I can't think of it. Dance, because the name of the nurses wear dance, D-A-N-S-K-E shoes. Do you wear those? I don't. I'm trying to think what the brand of mine is. It escapes me right now. But they are a non-skid chef's shoe, and then I put the extra heel padding in there. And it just gives my my heels and my arch extra support. makes all the difference. Um, Oh, I bet. Yeah. I mean, you've got to have good shoes. If not, you will pay the price the next day. You won't be able to move. Yeah. I know the um, – um, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, the third thing would be when to say no, and that's a hard one. But sometimes sometimes people are just – they're just – I'm not going to say they're taking advantage because they don't know that they are, but um, if somebody that's quibbling with you about the price and undercutting you – that's only going to get worse. If they're doing that initially on in the phone or email interactions, it's going to be worse mm-hmm. when you're there doing for them. And you, you may have to say, you know what, I'm sorry, but I'm not going to be able to do that event for you. Of course, do it on the front end. Give them plenty of time to find someone else. Help them find someone else if you, if you can. But um, you've got you to gotta learn when to turn down a gig. Don't let the money... Um, you know, get in the way of your clarity because this is your business and you've got to treat it like a business and you can't let your customer dictate what you will and will not do. So that's a good point. I guess those are the three things. You cannot, that's, that's a really good point. That's a good point. Yeah. Other than a sharp knife, what kitchen tool can you not live without and why? Uh, let's see. Well, I kind of touched on this earlier in a good, stainless pan, a good potter pan that you have used over and over again, and you know exactly how it's going to perform for you, whether it's gas or electric or whatever. Um, And then definitely your knives, as you said, and then an immersion blender. I use it all the time, and it just comes in handy. Um, There are a hundred other things, too, but (laughs) the top three would be those. Those would be my do not leave my kitchen without them, you know. So the stainless pan, the immersion blender, and what was the third one? And and your your personal knives, knives that you know how they perform, and and um. Yeah. If you had to choose three herbs or spices for the next year, what would they be, and why? And salt and pepper don't count. Uh, let's see. Yeah, the old salt thing. 
Um, rosemary, basil, and garlic, hands down. Rosemary, basil, and garlic. Yeah. The three... That's like a, the three-legged stool that every chef sits on, I guess, after structure. It is. I mean, no matter what you're fixing, you can jazz it up with a little bit of one or all of those, you know. That's very true. Very true. With so the salt and pepper, of course. Yeah, of course, yeah. But salt and pepper is <laughs> too easy, so I can't... I can't right, right. <laughs> right. What has become more important or less important in the last five years? And you don't have to relate it to food. It could be any aspect of your life. I worry less. I've learned just to let it go. Things happen or they don't. Don't force fit things. Don't try to figure it out. Just stop worrying and just let life, energy, karma, whatever, take the lead. And it will. If you, sometimes we get in the way of positive things, you know, or negative for that matter, coming to us. Just, just step aside and just let life's energy do what it does and don't worry. You can't change it. You're just adding to the problem. <laughs> worry to me equates to confusion. And I guess what I'm saying is I have learned to run my business with clarity. I don't want confusion. I want clarity. And that took some doing. But, but that's, if I could pass that torch on to someone else, I, I would. Because just let it go. Don't worry things will, will all work out and follow your gut. Do always do the right thing. It'll work out. So five years ago, what was it that, that you had that you were constantly worrying about then that you finally came to the realization I need to worry about that less? Is is it like please the amount people? of business, you know, how do I how do I grow this more? But now looking oh. back, there's no way I could have handled the volume of business I'm doing now five years ago. I, I wouldn't have had the, even then, as long as I've been doing this, I still didn't have the experience, the instinct. You know, people say, what, what does it take to be a, a personal chef? And to me, a, pers- a chef, period. No matter how much culinary training you have, you have to have good instincts. And for flavor profiles and the, the, how to do something and how to, um, you know, Hell, just the doneness of something, you know, um, right. just whether something looks right or doesn't. And you've got to have really good instincts. So I, I think that um, I think that that would be I just just making this business grow. I'm so glad that it that I wasn't given the volume of business five years ago that I have now. I would have mm-hmm. been chasing my tail. I would have been putting out fires all the time. It would not have been successful. So, again, I stopped worrying, and things happen as they should, when they should. Oh, I got you. I got you. Do you, um, do you have full-time help, like, all the time, or do you hire people as you need them, or are you, are you just a solo Wonder Woman all by yourself? I have three employees, and I bring them in when I need them to. Um, hmm. And which is almost every event, because if you can afford to have a server, then do that. It gives you credibility. It makes you look much more professional. It makes the client feel like they are even more pampered. And what you can do is just incorporate that into your quote to them. They don't have to know. You just incorporate it in, and um, they don't have to know that that's what that's for. But but, um, put that into your pricing so that it doesn't come out of your bottom line. And 
it just makes things so much better. Plus, you've got an extra hand for chopping, dicing, whatever, you know, somebody to serve out the salad while you're putting the finishing plating on the soup or whatever, you know. Exactly, yeah. That's what, that's what I was thinking right there is you have someone who can actually do that part of it where you can focus on getting the next course or right. there's nothing worse than serving salad and something burning in the oven. I mean, you don't want that to happen either. You do not. And <laughs> I learned years ago to take photos of my food so that the next time we serve that, I would print off a copy of that photo and staple it to, to that event's menu so that my serve staff would see how I want that plated up. I want oh, this, awesome. you know, at 11 o'clock on the plate. I want this at 3 o'clock on the plate. I want this at 7 o'clock on the plate. I want the skewers here. I want the drizzle there. You know, all they have to do is look at it and replicate that picture. So that oh, helps them a lot to say, here's the photo to go with this appetizer plate or, or cheese board or whatever. This is how I want it to look. So That's a great point. That's, I mean, they do that in restaurants anyways. They have pictures. Yeah, of that's right. It just takes the worry off of you and lets your staff, you know, and your staff feels good about it because when they look at it, they say, wow, that looks like mm -hmm. the picture. That's beautiful. And I did that. Yes, you did. Right. Good job. You know? Yeah, good job. Right. What is the best lesson your father ever taught you? Oh, this is so important in what I do now. I never could have seen this as a child. But he was absolutely obsessed with putting things back where they belong when you're finished <laughs> using them. And I didn't realize until I was older that I'm a little OCD about it too. But now, especially in this business, yes, put it right back where it belongs so that it's there the next time you need it. And equally as important, it's there the next time someone else needs it. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, most chefs, we, we know where our things are without even looking. We'll say, you know, second drawer down, toward the back, left, whatever, you know. And um, but when you're in someone else's home, that's a little harder to do. But if you have a nice organization of everything that you've brought into this strange new kitchen, then you can still, it still flows easily because you're putting it back right where it needs to be. And it's there right. when you need it again. Organization is the key to most things. I mean, it's... Absolutely. There's organization all around you. If you just look around and you notice things, naturally things are organized in a, in a, in a pattern, if you will. And it's right. Things get all goofed up is when chaos It happens. does. Right. Again, it's the clarity thing. Just be, mm -hmm. be organized so that you have peace and clarity. You're not, you know, putting out fires the whole time. Right. Exactly. <clears throat> Excuse me. Well, I... I appreciate you spending time with me, and I know it's your day off, so I want to kind of start wrapping this up. I'm going to wrap it up with the challenge question, and then I want you to tell people where they can get a hold of you on all of the social media outlets out there. So the, the okay. challenge question is you receive a request to cater a dinner party for 25 guests with a budget of $500, not mm -hmm. typically what you would cater to. This is right. on the cheap. The menu is to include, <laughs> yeah, two hors d'oeuvres, two main courses, and a dessert. Describe the menu that you would create. The menu that I, so two hors d'oeuvres, two main courses, and a single dessert. I would definitely choose one of my favorite appetizers is Serrano ham and manchego cheese croquettes with a pimento aioli. It is the most delicious 
thing, and it's easy to prepare. Um, it presents beautifully, and it's inexpensive to to make. So you definitely, with just a budget of twenty dollars a person, you need to focus on your food budget. The other would be something simple and familiar, like a spinach and feta spanakopita. Easy, easy, easy. It takes a little time with those silly spanakopita, you know, um, pastries that stick to you, but still, it's inexpensive. Spinach and feta, easy breezy. For the main course, I would do something that everybody likes and that is inexpensive food cost-wise. Probably pork chops marsala on a bed of black rice with maybe some mushroom sage oil in the rice, yummo. And maybe something, you know, again, very familiar like a chicken Kiev with some sautéed Swiss chard, maybe some pepper duck polenta. Very low food cost, easy to execute, something that everybody likes. The dessert would definitely be a lemon syllabub because it's like four ingredients. It costs almost nothing to make, and it is so ridiculously good. Lemon syllabub. Lemon syllabub, S-Y-L-L-A-B-U-B. It is an old turn-of-the-century British recipe. The British don't get much credit for delicious food, but they they got it right on this one because this dessert is so easy to make, and it's absolutely delicious. Very light and fluffy, and... and, um, I did a, a cooking class called, um, it was for a bunch of Downton Abbey fans, and I called it Mrs. Fatmore's, Downton Abbey, Mrs. Fatmore's Kitchen. So I researched British, you know, foods of that era, and the lemon syllabub popped up, and I made it, and wow, huge favorite. It lasts for days, too, for a dessert. Well, so if you need, if you've got several events that need a lemon dessert, it, it lasts for several days. It's only four ingredients. Can you uh, knock it out for me real quick on what the ingredients they are? It's make homemade whipped cream, add um, about a half a cup of sugar, about an eighth a cup of um, lemon juice, and about a um, quarter of a cup of white wine. And you just do it in your stand mixer. So make your whipped cream, then add your sugar into it. Very fine sugar is better so that it breaks down. And then add your lemon juice and your splash of white wine, and call it a day. Put it in a martini glass, put some lemon zest or lemon twist on top of it, serve it out. It is beautiful and really, really good, very light and lemony. Yep. Sugar, lemon juice, white wine, and whipped cream. Uh-huh. Wow. That's it. <clears throat> that is, that sounds awesome. I mean, try that. It is, it is awesome, and it takes two minutes to make. I mean, you know, the the thing that takes the longest is making a whipped cream, but with a stand mixer, that's done in three minutes. You know, yeah, it doesn't take long at all. No, it doesn't. Then just throw those ingredients in, and you're done. Like I said, it holds up for several days. It it stays in that fluffy cloud form for days. So it's it's wonderful to make ahead of time or for several events, so you have have something made ahead of time. And real quick, the Serrano ham croquettes. Mm-hmm. Um, just knock that out real quick. How would you prepare? What do you do with the ham? Basically, you take serrano ham and then manchego cheese. So you're going to slice the serrano ham like you would um, pancetta, and then you're going to grate the manchego cheese, and you're going to make a bechamel. That's all it is is a bechamel. When the bechamel is done, throw your serrano ham and your manchego cheese into the bechamel. Then pour it out on a half-sheet pan, Put it in your refrigerator for a minimum of two hours. Let it get nice and chilled. When it's chilled, you can put it in overnight. That's even better. Um, it's, again, it's one of these fried things we don't do very often. But you, you take it and you scoop it up and roll it into balls. 
dip it in an egg mixture and panko breadcrumbs, and then throw it in your your countertop fryer. Let them fry just until they're golden brown. Take them out. Um, put some little specks of pimento on the top. Drizzle it with some pimento aioli, and call it a day. They are absolutely delicious, and it just <laughs> presents beautifully. So. That's awesome. Those are you knocked those out real quick. You didn't waste any time at all. That's that's awesome. Well, yeah, good, good, let, good. Let well, people, this was a lot of fun. Yeah, let, tell everybody where they can get a hold of you, and then um, I'll let you get on with your day because I know you're. Thank you. Well, you can find me on my personal chef services of Sue Shattuck on Facebook. You can email me at chefsueshattuck at gmail dot com. Or you can phone me at 850-572-6706. And if you're in or near the Pensacola area, give me a call. I would love to be of service to you. That's awesome. And the phone number again is 850-572-6706. That's correct. Okay, good. Sue, thank you very much. I really appreciate you coming on and much wish success on your future endeavors. And I'm, I'm glad to hear that you're just doing fabulous work out there. It's well, how kind of you, and thank you. I appreciate it. It was entirely my pleasure and proud to be a part of this. So thank, thank you for having me. Thank you. Certainly. Uh-huh. You also. Bye now. Be sure to visit us at AOAchef.com for all the show notes. You can follow me on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at AOA Chef. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time.